is Nick. I'm the pastor here at Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by what you hear today as we as a body partake in the ordinary means of grace. If you have questions about what you hear, you may also contact us. We would love to answer those for you. And we hope that one day we might have the blessing of having your presence with us. Thanks for joining us. Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. Be seated. As you are, you can look on page 7 in the bulletin, or you can turn in the Pew Bible or your own copy to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, we'll take our reading from verse 35 through verse 15 of chapter 10. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it. And stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Word of God for the people of God. Do do you know what I mean when I use the term glad-hander? Do do you know that? 
that's the person that that comes in and greets everyone. They light up and they, they, they make sure everyone knows they're there. Well, that sort of person we instinctively pull away from, don't we? They're the people that are there. They make sure that you notice them and then when there's a need, they're gone. They're the ones that are there long enough for you to notice them and, and to shake your hand and say, good to see you and... Then you know, don't you, that eventually they're going to use you. Instinctively, you know they're going to ask you, can I count on your vote when the time comes? Or, can you help me move on Saturday? I know you got a truck. Or something like that, right? They, they're that sort of person. They're not, they're not really there for you. They're not really there to care about you. In other words, they're fake. They're the sort of people that you don't really trust because you know they're not really well, invested in you. They don't really care about you. That's not Jesus. Jesus has been teaching, hasn't he? And he's been teaching about his kingdom being a kingdom of hope and joy. And then... You saw him put that into action when those interruptions came to him, right? He was in the middle of explaining his kingdom. And this father came to him and said, My daughter, my daughter's dying. Come with me. And immediately Jesus came. And then in the middle of going there, this woman comes up and says to herself, If I can just touch him, I will be made well. And she did. And she was made well. And Jesus stops and he takes time with her. And then, and then after that, as he goes on from there, blind men call out to him. He goes into the house and they come to him and he asks, what, what can I do for you? And then those oppressed by the demons, he delivered them. Jesus has been showing that his kingdom is a kingdom of hope and, and joy. And now in this text, as we as we look at it, we, we understand that what Jesus has been doing has not been candidating. He hasn't just been out there glad-handing in order to get people on his side. No, he genuinely cares. He genuinely loves. He genuinely gives himself to them and does not ask in return. He gives. He gives. In order to see people changed. He's not seeking to use people. He's the king. There's no voting on him. He doesn't, he doesn't need your vote. He's the king. And so he, he already has that. But unlike other kings, he does not use people for his own gain. No, the Son of Man did not come to be served. But to serve and to give his life a ransom. For many, And so as we take a look at this text, we're going to see a couple of things about our king, about his kingdom being one of hope and joy, his kingdom being one where, well, the king does for those who are hurting. He doesn't use them. And so we're going to see it in two points this morning. We're going to see the heart of the king. And then we're going to see the method 
of the king. The heart of the king, how he cares for his kingdom, and then the method of the king, how he sees his kingdom expanded. Not by glad-handing, not by military might, but how does it expand? So what's the heart of Jesus? And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. That's good. That's good, but, but he's not just using that in order to prop himself up. No, what does it say? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. What's the heart of Christ? It's a heart of compassion. It's a heart of compassion. It's not, it's not compassion like we sometimes have at news that comes to us, like, oh, oh, that's awful, and we do nothing. Right? We, we have a word for that. We see something come across, for those of you who have social media, something comes across the feed and you go, that's terrible, that's awful, and nothing is done. The word is slacktivism, right? Slacktivism where you, you're moved but not really enough to do anything. But that's not Jesus. He looks out. He's already been out there among them and he is moved with compassion. In other words, his heart is drawn to those who are hurting. His heart is drawn. It moves him toward them in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their aimless wandering, in the midst of their sin, in the midst of all that they have going on in their life. He doesn't recoil like the gladhander, the person who comes in and shakes hands and then they say, well, we've got a little work to do and, and you can't find them. No, he moves in toward them in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their suffering. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He could have been annoyed. They'd been taking his time. As a matter of fact, Mark says they were there so much and around him so often that they didn't even have time to eat sometimes. They would be holed up in the house and Jesus would be teaching and healing and they would not even have time just to have a break. If you punch a clock, you expect after a while to get at least a 15 minute break and that's before lunch and then possibly one after lunch. You, you know what I'm talking about. If you didn't have it, you'd get cranky. Not Christ. The relentless hurt, the relentless pain, the relentless, well, sin that he sees in the world, the relentless damage done by it, it does not cause him to recoil. It causes him to go forward in compassion. He has compassion on them. And so instead of being annoyed, he, he was moved. He saw their situation he recognized it and he moved toward them. Think about this. He's not a politician. 
He's not someone who promises big things and then does not deliver. He doesn't come in and use people in order to prop himself up. Think about this. If Jesus had been cold and indifferent towards hurting, if he'd been austere toward those who were in bad situations, he would be no better. He'd be no better than those who use people. It would undermine all that he had been saying and all that he had done in the name of his kingdom. No, he's not fake. He's not a hypocrite. His kingdom is a kingdom of hope and joy. You you know what I'm talking about. Perhaps in your own life you've been around a family that, that when they show up, everything is put together. Everything is perfect. They seem like the best sort. And then you get to go home with them one day and and none of that's real. That's what it would have been if Christ had not been moved with compassion toward them. But he's not fake. Your king has compassion not just for them. He has compassion for you. Do you know that you can come to Him with your deepest hurt? Do do you know that you can come to Him with your deepest shame? The sin that that no one here knows about because to, to them you look put together and you play the part well and yet in your own life you know deep down the sin that plagues you, the sin that you hate. Yes, you want to be rid of it. You know who you are. You're afraid that if others saw it, well, they would cast you out. You can come to Him. He won't recoil. But He will come to you. He will cleanse you. He's not fake. And so He has a heart of compassion. But He also has a heart of compassion that moves Him to do something. It doesn't just say, man, this is awful. All of these people are out here like, uh, uh, like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and they're in pain. He doesn't just say, well, that's the way it is. What does he do? Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He has a a harvest, a heart for the harvest. He has a heart of compassion and a heart for harvest. And, And when you think about this, you need to understand what that means. What that means is that he's not looking out there and, and seeing votes for his campaign. What you need to understand about the harvest that Christ offers is that it is, it is not you being used, but you being delivered. You being rescued right where you are, that, that you might grow up in his kingdom in his field and be a part of his doing that's the harvest that he has that's people who are rescued from despair and death and sin he's not looking to get people on his side in order to use them but in order to save them he looks out at hurting world he sees those who could be brought in 
What about you? Is that how you view his kingdom? That the more that we go out, the more that we go into this world and we see those around us, that they ought to know, that they ought to hear in order that they might be brought in. Because bringing them in here is not so that we can use them, so that we can say, and ministers are terrible about this, how many do you have in church on Sunday? You never sit down at a table of them without one of them saying something like that. That's not, that's not the picture here. It's not to prop up an ego. It's not so that he could gain his following. It's so that they might be delivered from the despair that fills this world, from the hurt, from the wreckage of sin. That's the harvest. And so what does he do about it? That's the method. How is it that he's going to advance his kingdom among those who are like sheep without a shepherd, who are harassed, who are helpless? What's the method? Therefore, pray. Therefore, pray. Jesus says the very first thing that we ought to be engaged in, the way that we really can see change brought in this world is not by activism, but by prayer. Yes, that is an activity in itself, and it's not one that is necessarily easy, but I fear that it is one that is far too neglected in the church. Let me illustrate. If you were to read our Confession of Faith, chapter 21 of Religious Worship and the Sabbath Day, you will see in that chapter two paragraphs on prayer. Two paragraphs given to the idea that prayer is a special part of worship. Prayer is something that we ought to engage in, yes, both together and privately. And then you will notice that every other element of worship is only given not one paragraph each, but one paragraph that says, and also preaching and singing and giving and these things. Prayer, two paragraphs. Every other element, just one mention in a single paragraph. Prayer is what Christ calls us to do. He says that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, right? And so then when he looks out into a world and he sees people harassed and helpless, wandering like sheep without a shepherd, he says the very first thing that ought to spring to our minds is not all, but prayer. One is compassion, the other is not. Therefore, he says, pray. And you know that scripture calls us to prayer. It calls us to pray without ceasing. And then, even when there are moments that things are so so hard to understand, hard to grasp, when you don't even know what to pray, pray. Because you have the promise of the Spirit that He helps us when we don't even know what to pray as we ought. And so Jesus says pray, doesn't He? 
He calls us to this. But he doesn't stop there. He then sends out the twelve, doesn't he? Pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will raise up those who go out. Pray because the harvest is plentiful. Pray that he will send out laborers. And then what does he do? He sends them out. He sends them out. And so what does he send them to do? He sends them to proclaim good news and to demonstrate his kingdom of hope and joy. Yes, yes, he, he gives this to the twelve. Now you need to understand what you get in verses 1 through 15 is their particular ministry. It's what they are doing while the bridegroom is with them, while Christ is here. He hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't been raised. He has not sent them into all the world. This is for these twelve. In that ministry, at that place, what does he do? Well, he gives them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Does that sound Familiar? That's what he's just been doing. Going throughout all their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. What does he tell them to do? Do as I've been doing. You you go out and you show, you demonstrate that this kingdom, this place, this thing to which I am calling them is a kingdom of actual hope and joy. And he sends them out with authority to do that. And so you get the list of the twelve. And then it says, these twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's what's happening there. He's not sending them out into all the world just yet. They are fulfilling the failure of the children of Israel. Did the children of Israel drive out all of, well, all of those who were in the land of the Canaanites? No. What's he doing? He's sending them to fulfill that mission. But he's not doing it with the sword, is he? He's doing it in the way in which, well, the way in which it was intended to go. By the word, at, at this point, by the word and by the demonstration of Christ. Here's the picture then. He's going to the Jews, the Jews who were supposed to already understand this kingdom, and yet they were rejecting it on the basis of the teaching of those Pharisees and scribes, those lost sheep of the house of Israel, those who were harassed, those who, well, who were afflicted, those who were like a sheep without a shepherd, and he's sending them to gather them first. And so he sends them out to them. He sends them with instructions for their immediate mission. He tells them what they are to do. And they go, and they are to preach the gospel. And even there, even there, there will be those who reject it. Isn't that what it says when you get down to verse 15? But, but here, here Jesus sends them out with authority to heal, to cast out demons, to, to 
cleanse lepers. All things that were unthinkable, Christ bestows this authority upon them in order to demonstrate something. You understand, we've been saying this, that those diseases, those sickness, those death, demonic oppression, all of those things were pictures in a visible way of our greatest enemy. And Christ sends them out against that enemy. And so then, what does he do? He sends them out and he gives them these instructions. And if a house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And you understand that that they are sent only with words and not with swords. Here's how. Here's how you understand that. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. That's, that's, that's pretty, that's, well, it would render them speechless. That's, that's pretty big stuff that he's saying because you understand that for all of them, Sodom and Gomorrah, it was the epitome of wickedness. Sodom and Gomorrah was the epitome of what sin would look like and what final judgment would look like for those who lived in that way. And Jesus says, when the gospel comes, when when my message of hope and joy in my kingdom comes, if it is not received by these children of Israel who, who ought to have known that I am the son of David, that for them, for them, well, at that last judgment, Sodom and Gomorrah will look like a, a picnic. And that's pretty heavy stuff. But here's a couple of things you need to understand as you think about this pretty heavy stuff. One, that is, as Christ sets it out and he says, he says this to them, You understand that they go out only with their word. Only with the word declaring who Christ is. How does his kingdom advance? It advances through prayer and through the word. The good news of who Christ is. It is not a kingdom of the sword. Christ doesn't need need us to take up arms on his behalf. Let me illustrate. In John chapter 18, Jesus is there and, and this armed group comes toward him. They have an armed guard that's been given to them and they have clubs and swords and, and they have torches and all of these things and, and they come up and Jesus goes out to meet them. He doesn't cower, he doesn't shrink back and he says, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And what does he do? He says, I am. And what do they do? They draw back and they fall down. Christ doesn't need us to go forward with a sword. He will conquer by the word of his power. Upon his return, everything will be set to rights. And his judgment will fall then by his word, not by our sword. So his kingdom goes forward with prayer and by the word. And so you get that picture. He sends his armies out with terms of peace. 
That's the, that's the picture here. He's sending them out. Saying, listen, my kingdom is a kingdom of joy and hope. Let me show you joy and hope by delivering you from your greatest enemies. Let us show you your greatest need. And if they reject that, knowing that Christ is all the hope for this world, they've done so with greater knowledge than Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah had not heard of Christ. You understand, don't you? That if these things would have been proclaimed to them, didn't Jesus say something like that? If these things that I am doing would have been proclaimed there, they would have repented. They have a greater knowledge. Those that we go to must hear about Christ. They must hear His name. They must know who He is and the way that He conquers and their greatest need because it serves in a twofold way. It serves, one, to call His lost sheep to Himself because they will hear His voice through His Word coming to them. And they'll be called through that. But In the other sense, it serves as judgment to them. That here the greatest news that has ever been delivered to anyone has been brought to them. And they they said, oh, that's nice. And rejected it. Some of them were worse than that. They scorned it. Some of them would do these things. But you need to understand that lost world is not your enemy. We don't view them As our enemy. No they might be Christ's enemies. But we are laborers to tell them. About this Christ. That he might have mercy on them. And so Jesus. As he goes out. You see his heart. The heart of this king. Is a heart of compassion. And a heart to see. People brought in. Not excluded. They exclude themselves. By rejecting this message. To see them brought in and not pushed away. He sees them for what they really are. Sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and wandering. And so here's our king. Compassionate. With a heart for harvest. And he tells us something. Yes, in a very particular way, he spoke to the twelve and sent them. But that is, well, you know, that is the mission of the church for us now. That we are sent. So how do we go? How do we carry out a kingdom of joy and hope into this world? Well, the same way that he tells us. We pray. We pray, and my question for you is, do you? Do do you pray beyond your immediate realm of knowledge? Do you pray for more than just your back aches and your your ingrown toenails and your knee pains? Those things are all good to pray for, but do, do you pray with a heart that looks into this world where people reject Christ and they speak ill of the church and they spew their hatred. And do you see them as enemies or do you see them as those upon whom this shepherd would have mercy and bring them into his fold and make them a part of his harvest? Do you pray? 
Lord, you have said, you have said that nothing will stop your word. You have said that you would make Abraham's descendants as numerous as the stars of the heavens and dust of the earth and sand of the seashore. Do this in your church, in our generation. Do you pray that he would send others And he would raise them up even from among us, even among your children and grandchildren and cousins and yourself even. That he might send you. That they might hear of Christ. A couple of things about being sent. I had an old professor who used to say it this way, you don't have to cross the sea to be a missionary. You just have to see the cross. You pray that he might show you more of himself. That you might as as you go into this world and people see you filled with hope and joy. That they might come to you and say what is the reason for the hope that is in you. And you might be able to tell them about a shepherd who found you harassed and distressed, and wandering, and yet he's been good to you and brought you into his fold. Pray, pray, and go. And that's how Christ conquers. That's how Christ goes into this world. That's how his kingdom is spread. Pray and go. And he gives us authority. Jesus sends out his disciples to minister in the same way that he does. Through the word and through the good news of his kingdom. With joy and hope and compassion on those around us. Let's pray.